This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning, Media Week's weekly TV podcast. It's our first episode back for the new year, 2023. Welcome back, Andrew Mercado. Hi, James. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Look, I was just saying as I set up the gear today and I was fumbling my way around our little <laughs> makeshift studio, um, I'd forgotten how to do this. It seems quite a long time. Well, you know, we we take our holidays as per free-to-air TV in Australia. You know, they take <laughs> the summer off. I don't know how much longer they can afford to keep the summer off, to keep taking the summer off. But, uh, yeah, Christmas, New Year, we all have a bit of a break. And then, of course, all the new shows come rushing back to us all at once to the point that you're overwhelmed. Yeah, and I guess as we'll find out today, the streamers don't stop really, do they? It's their sort of, you know, it's um, so like Stan in particular treats it as like their sort of prime time, if you like. Some of the others, Netflix just rolls around. Seems every day of the year they have they virtually drop new releases. It's just an astonishing amount of um, of content. Um, talk before we get into some of the look today. I want to talk about Happy Valley. We're going to talk about uh, Harry and Meghan, if we have to. We're going to talk about The Watcher from the very prolific Ryan Murphy and Golden Globe winner. Um, we're going to talk about Black Snow, another one of these series in um, small-town Queensland, which you re- referred to last year, um, Fleischman in Trouble, and The Last of Us, which is doing gangbusters. But before we get to some of these, talk to me a little bit about just what you said about the free-to-air TV having a break. Look, this week they're back with a bang with um, maths, back with Survivor, and we're back with Australian Idol Yeah. Um, all at once. It's a big ask, isn't it, expecting people to, to suddenly devote all this time to all this TV. It's a massive ask. I mean, back in the day when TV had that business all sewn up, when there were only five TV channels, even when Foxtel was uh, in on the party, you know, free-to-air has been taking this summer break and I just don't know how long they can keep doing this. I mean, the the business model is that viewership is going down on free-to-air TV and I don't think it helps your bottom line if you take six weeks, eight weeks holiday insult your audience by throwing a whole bunch of repeats on. I mean, I'm a free-to-air guy. I'm old school, but I can tell you, because there's nothing to watch, you don't even look because you know there's going to be nothing to watch. And then all of a sudden, we're absolutely overwhelmed. We've got Australian Survivor, Australian Idol going for two hours a night on multiple nights of the week. And as you pointed out to me and directed me to that Nick Bond article that he wrote for news.com.au, in America they only do one or two episodes of those shows a week. Here in Australia we're dragging everything out. Married at first sight as well. How is a viewer supposed to choose? There's a pretty good chance that an average TV viewer would want to watch one of those reality shows or even two, but that's just such a huge ask and I just don't know why free-to-air TV isn't running to an all-year model to try and stop this mammoth competition they have in streaming services. Yeah, I mean, in their defence, they do say they run to an all-year model, but sport takes over. 
for yeah. some of that period in the summer, which is pretty much true for for um, seven, which has yep. a lot of cricket, for nine, which has tennis yep. from January 1 virtually. Not so much 10 because they don't have a big summer sport, but then they did come back quite early with Bachelor this year, which yeah. didn't perform brilliantly for them. Look, um, I don't watch sport, so there's nothing in that for me. You know, all I know is that a whole bunch of shows I really like aren't there, so I just stop watching it completely. And, you know, I just don't think when you've got a business that's losing eyeballs, you can afford to give viewers a chance to stop watching you for several weeks per year and look for other options. Every time you do that, some viewers are never going to come back to you. It's just a worry to me. Yeah, look, and it's a... It's a business model that's changing, and it's something we we address every week, either directly or indirectly. And that, well, as we see, like the government um, looks like they're going to be introducing a a regulatory framework that will compel streaming service to invest a certain percentage of revenue. Uh, yeah, yet yet to be worked out in Australian originals. So yeah. that that will. You know that will impact free to wear, arguably even more than the presence yeah. of the um, the the streaming services has to date. But yeah, look, we'll get across that this year. Look, let's get into some of these shows. I think the first one we should probably address is something we've talked a lot about before on this podcast. And that's the uh, wonderful Sarah Lancashire and the and the wonderful but pretty grueling Happy Valley. Oh. Look, it's a fantastic show, but my God, I get stressed watching it. You know, <laughs> someone said to me, why don't you just watch all the episodes on the BBC preview site? And I said, well, I can't watch two episodes in a, in a row. It's too stressful. I like the idea of watching one a week, chewing over it and then coming back. But look, Sarah Lancashire, again, delivering the most incredible performance. And Happy Valley, which has some of the most incredible cliffhangers in terms of episodes. When it does end, you're like, oh, your heart is in your chest waiting for that next episode and that's when I do love to kind of extend it and wait that little bit it's been a great uh third and final wrap-up season I'm yet to see the last episode but wow it's been incredible okay yeah look I've seen them all so I won't go and spoil it for people that haven't and I'll be careful not to spoil it even if you maybe haven't got past episode one yet but yeah look it's um Sarah Lancashire reprises her role, Sergeant Catherine, I think this is Kay, Kay Wood, I think is the surname, Kawood. Um, the, the sort of backstory to this is the episode about the remains of a gangland murder victim are found in a drained reservoir. It's yeah. not sort of central to the, the the main story that carries from previous seasons is is her sort of nemesis, Um Tommy, played by James Norton, yeah, who um, is actually the father of her grandson Ryan and her late daughter's rapist. That's a storyline yeah. that really is really comes to the fore in this, and you just learn a whole lot more about what happened in the past and how it sort of how it tore apart her family, if you like. Yeah, and, and how it's still tearing apart the family, how the trauma from yeah. that event is still uh, causing her to act in certain ways. Uh, it's just so great. And that that family unit that she has and, um, 
you know, some of the decisions some of those family members have made in this last season, so very disappointing. And so, you know, the fact that she's had to deal with all of that while knowing uh, and she felt she's the only person in the village going, I know this is all going to turn to shit. Why won't anyone listen to me? And, uh, yeah, she's still the smartest person in the room. Yeah. I mean, if there's a if there's a problem I had with this, it's some of the storyline is a little bit far-fetched at times, I thought. Some of the things that happen, I'm going, oh, really? Would that really happen? <laughs> but, but, look, it's a very minor criticism, you know, Yeah. Um, because that first episode, you're just overwhelmed, I was anyway, about how good Sarah Lancashire is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she is just in a class. Totally. Uh, as an as an actor that just lifts this whole series any all of her co-stars it also propels them i think to a higher level and i and i just really love that relationship she has with um her sister claire's at siobhan finneran yeah yeah um, fabulous i love that and, relationship and that is central to what a lot of happens in this episode more so than probably any of the first two seasons well she always has been pretty central but this one in particular just really you know puts it under the microscope yeah it's it's very satisfying and they go into that last episode as you'd be experiencing now there's there's quite a lot of loose ends to tie up in that final episode and i just couldn't work out how they did it but they managed to right down to the last seconds. It's it's really so well plotted out. Yeah, shout out to creator and writer Sally Wainwright. I mean, she's made so many great TV series, you know, Last Tango in Halifax, Gentleman Jack, but this is by far the the jewel in her crown, right? Happy Valley will uh, be remembered as one, I think, one of the great British drama series uh, of the last 10 years. Yeah, so look, that's six episodes. Uh, you can watch it on Foxtel or Binge uh, via BBC First as the, the channel that's streaming. And, of course, it's on demand on both of those services as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, something quite different, a Netflix documentary. It's also six episodes, Harry and Meghan. Yeah, and now their most watched ever documentary series. Yeah, look, absolutely. I sort of packaged it in two volumes, three episodes in volume one, another three in volume two. Look, I I started to watch this, but then I sort of realised I don't really need to know this much about these people. Um, I'm People seem to take sides. You're Team Harry or you all the others. <laughs> Yeah, like. yeah, it's Harry and Meghan against the world at times. It almost seems like, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, and yeah. I get it. I'm I'm probably Team Harry, but some of the detail in this series, I just didn't really need it. When they I realised when um, Meghan's girlfriends are assembled and they're starting to chat about her and that, and I'm, I start to pull back and I just realise, look, there's other there's other things I think I'd probably rather be watching. Well, I would direct you to episode four because episode four in part two is where they really start digging into what I think is the most interesting thing in the whole series, this examination of the British media on which they are on point. And I agree with you. I don't think that Harry and Meghan, the documentary, is going to change anybody's minds about the couple. To me, there's a huge divide. You love them or you hate them. And to me, that sort of falls into two camps. The young people are on the side of Harry and Meghan 
imagine. The older people who grew up with the Queen and the Queen means something to them take what Harry and Meghan does as an insult to the Queen and will never forgive them for it. Um, but I found it really interesting and I've just finished listening to Harry's bio, Spare, which he okay. read on Audible and Everything he said about the British media, I agree with, and I applaud him for putting himself out on the line and saying something because it does have to be said what's going on there. And if that means that he has to throw his family under the bus to explain what's going on in that toxic relationship between the press and the royal family, so be it. Uh, yeah, episode four is the most searing example, I thought, of what the media media did uh so yeah look a lot of people watched it i don't know whether it changed anyone's minds but uh we've certainly been talking about it this past summer yeah yeah look i'll i'll i'll, I'll revisit that i think i did see most of it but i was i was on in the background i wasn't really wasn't really a hundred percent uh invested in it if you like yeah but it was it was certainly seems to be well put together um directed by um Academy Award winner uh, Liz Garbus, I think. Was she the producer or the director? One or the other, I'm not sure. But she's done a, a lot of feature-length docos. I think uh, Britney Spears doco, was it Britney versus the Spears, I think it might have been called. Uh, there was right. a Dr. Anthony Foucher doco. There was an Ariana Grande uh, doco she put together. But oh. it wasn't all showbiz fluff. I think she's done something on um, the, the loss of democracy, um, and she did something on online share trading as well, and yeah. um, how, how that's led to a um, a few problems for for different people as well. Oh, look, I just looked at her Wikipedia page. She's been making documentaries for over 20 years. 2003, she made a documentary about AIDS. I mean, yeah, she's okay. been doing this sort of stuff for a long time. Sure. All right. Now, look, somebody we talk a lot about on this podcast is Ryan Murphy. and. Yeah. He was fated at the uh, Golden Globes. And just quickly, I thought it was a pretty good Golden Globes ceremony so this year. And yeah. what, a, what a wonderful series of shows won. Yeah. There, there weren't any real, you know, the there, there weren't any sort of unworthy winners, I didn't think. It felt to me for the first half at least, nobody got the music to say, get off. It mm. felt to me like it was an online event and there were no rules. And we always know that yeah. the Gold Globes are a bit loose to begin with. So there was this kind of really relaxed vibe about it that made it really interesting. And people were allowed to speak from the heart and no one was trying to hurry them up. It was only in the second part that they started doing that because I guess they thought we're going to be here all night. But I thought it was really interesting. And I thought that the speech that Ryan Murphy made, he was given some sort of Hall of Fame award. I thought that yeah. was really, really interesting. And uh, I loved uh, some of the things he had to say. And I think he's a great, great, great TV producer. I think sometimes some of his projects are a bit hit and miss. I don't love everything that he does. But by gee, I, I have to check them out. And sometimes I go, that's not for me and I'm not going to finish it. But when he gets it right, Wow, he he he's a great great TV maker. I mean, the the was it the Cecil B. DeMille Award? I think it might have been that he was. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, um, but the quality's always there, isn't it? In his productions, yeah. sometimes the story might be a bit over the top, or 
a little bit woozy, but the the acting and the the production quality is is almost enough to carry it if you're not if you're not there yeah. with 100 percent on on the story. Um, yeah. But the the watcher for me, I just really thought that was one of his best works. It just, I just, I loved the casting. I loved the storyline. You know, I just, I just really bought into it. I, I'm not Look, sure I've if you were into it as I've much as me. <laughs> yeah, I've watched half of it, and I loved it that Mia Farrow was in it and Jennifer Coolidge and Naomi Watts, but I just kind of went, oh, where is this going? It, it felt like an American <laughs> Horror Story uh, suburbia to me. It just felt like another instalment of American Horror Story. So I kind of lost interest. If you tell me it's really worth it and I need to go back to it, I will, but I got about halfway and just got distracted. Yeah, yeah. So, the, I mean, the story is basically uh, Naomi Watson, Bobby Cannavale are a husband and wife, uh, Nora and Dean, living in New York City. They dream about getting out of the city. They found they find their dream home, I think, in suburban New Jersey, which is a massive big house on a huge piece of land. It's not really rural, but it's certainly out of the city, right? You're, you're out in the burbs, the leafy yeah. suburbs. But it's all a bit weird, you know. It's like a um, the, the neighbours are weird, and they all seem to be peering in, and and they start getting strange letters, right? And they all get very paranoid that there's somebody watching them. They think there's maybe someone in the house. Is it haunted? Okay. And the story just grows from there. Um, yeah, but I really loved it. Yeah, I mean, Mia Farrow is great as the neighbour Pearl. She's very freaky. There's so many suspects, isn't there? There's, yeah. There must be. A, for, is there a watcher? And if there is, there's about a dozen people it could be. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty good. But was that, this was actually created uh, with uh, by Ian Brennan, who was Ryan Murphy's collaborator on Glee and actually had the idea for Glee. Right. And um, somebody heard that he had a script for Glee. He showed it to Ryan Murphy, and that's how they started working together. Well, there's only seven episodes, uh, and it's kind of bizarre. It's been renewed for a second series, even though it was only conceived as a one-series show, uh, knowing Ryan Murphy is probably looking at it going, I don't know whether if everybody dies <laughs> at the end of The Watcher, but uh, the character to keep would be Jennifer Coolidge, wouldn't it? You could do a White Lotus and uh, transplant her into a new series. She seems to be the hottest woman on television right now. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, and she, she was another highlight of the uh, Golden Globes, of course. Yeah. Uh, which in a way was a, almost a Ryan Murphy night, wasn't it? There were so many connections to Ryan Murphy uh, that, yeah. that evening. Yeah, Jennifer Coolidge is the real estate agent. She's wonderful, you know, who who sells them the house, then tries to buy it back, you know. Yeah. So she's also a big suspect. Or, you know, how much has she been motivated by, by greed to try and get them back out of this property as she realises they have a lot of trouble um, so she's more than willing to buy it back. And the relationship she has with Naomi Watts' character, Nora, is quite uh, interesting. They have, they have a couple of meals together in restaurants, which is which is quite something too. Like a country club, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's very funny. But, um, yeah, so I like that a lot. So, look, as with um, 
nearly all of Ryan Murphy's new stuff these days. It's on Netflix. Now, could we call him as he's really America's probably most prolific TV producer, do you think? I yeah, I would say so. I mean, you could probably argue that the guy who's doing NCIS and, you know, he's been pretty prolific and Sonda Rhimes is pretty prolific. But, God, you know, you turn around and Ryan Murphy's dropped another eight-part series on Netflix. It is really quite astounding. Then there'll be a documentary. Then there'll be a movie. Then, you know, it's just never-ending and it's all pretty bloody good. And I will say this, there's some of his stuff I watch more than once too, you know, so that's uh, the greatest compliment I can give a filmmaker. I think Feud uh, starring uh, Susan Sarandon and Bette Davis and... Jessica Lange as Joan Crawford. I think that is one of the greatest TV series. I've watched that from beginning to end three times. So, yeah. I think there's some more feud coming too. Isn't there there is. They're doing, I think they're doing Charles and Diana. I think it's probably, it is could it? pop up tomorrow for all we know, knowing him. <laughs> but yeah, he's definitely, he's got American Crime Story where he did OJ Simpson and Versace. He's got American Horror Story, which isn't one of my favourites. Uh, and then he's got Feud. So he's got all these kind of uh, franchises where he just never seems to run out of stories to tell. And I think two series that were on your best list last year, I think the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Yep, Monster. Uh, and was it the Warhol Diaries? I think you also oh, picked the Andy Warhol Diaries, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh and he and he's diverse. He's got things like he does nine one one. Yeah. Drama and nine one one Lone Star. Yeah. Also comes out of his sort of production unit. So it's pretty prolific. The only other person also giving him a run for his money these days is probably the Yellowstone <laughs> uh, <laughs> co creator, Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. Who's spitting out the stuff um, pretty prolifically too at the moment. Now, I don't think you've seen this one yet, but I wanted to mention Stonehouse because I, I gave this a bit of a touch up at the end of the last year saying, look, I'm looking forward to this very much. Um, Matthew McFadden and Keely Hawes, real-life husband and wife, play the husband and wife in this one. Um, it's on BritBox. Are they real-life husband and wife? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Keely Hawes is married to Matthew McFadden. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, well, I, that's why I'm surprised you haven't rushed into this. With- oh, well. <laughs> It's there on my list of things to do. I just haven't got round to it, but now I'm really wanting to watch it. Okay, well, let's save this for next week, all right? Okay. Uh, and you, you, you can try and knock off at least an episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For next week, we'll do Stonehouse. But it's it's pretty good. It's um, it's very good actually. It's, it's yeah. really nice, really nice. Look, let's go to Black Snow. Yeah. Uh, Stan, Stan original, six episodes. Um, now, you had a bit of a thing, didn't you, about drama series, about quirky Australian regional, set in regional locations, a few of them up in Queensland. This one's also up in Queensland, but for my money, this one's a, a rung above probably all the others. Oh, I agree with you. I complained bitterly last year about too many Australian shows that were small town murder mysteries with young women uh, getting murdered. And when I saw the synopsis for Black Snow, I thought, oh, here we go again. (laughs) And also being a Queenslander, I'm always acutely aware of how many shows are being made in Queensland that actually 
aren't written by people who've spent any time living in Queensland. Uh, Irreverent on Netflix would be a great example of that. But I've got to tell you, Black Snow got it right. It's one of the first shows I've seen where they made a running kind of gag that, you know, at the very beginning when Travis Fimmel said, I want to go north to that town and investigate the murder, and his boss said to him, well, don't you complain about how hot it was and hot it is up there, and he was hot. You saw that he was sweating around his shirt the whole way through that series and he had a fan that he brought into the office. I was like, finally, someone is admitting that it's really hot in Queensland. (laughs) And I really, really got that. I love that it was uh, being filmed at Proserpine. I love that the sugar cane and the sugar mill with the smoke was being used in the show. I thought it was really, really great. I thought it was a murder mystery with a twist in that there was a time capsule that they opened up 20 years ago that had clues in it. I also loved that they were looking into the trauma of the fact that uh, a whole bunch of Islander people had been brought out to Australia to work on this uh, in this sugar uh, industry as slaves. I thought there were a whole bunch of really great things in it and it all came together really well and it's already on my list of one of the best Aussie dramas of the year. Well done, Stan. I loved Black Snow. Yeah, look, you, you're right. I, I've, um, I, I agree with everything you said. Then that the cast is brilliant. A, a cast of uh, some sort of um, South Sea Islander newcomers, I guess they are. Yeah. Um, to, to Leah, to Leah. Um, I think Jamason and and Molly play three of the the central characters, and the, they're really good. They're really good, and they they sort of get on so well with some people we're more familiar with. Um, Brooke Satchel's in there. Um, yep. Eric Thompson. Eric Thompson was great in a smaller role. He often yeah. sort of dominates in the lead roles he get, but he was great as a, a su- supporting cast in this. Kim Gingell was really good too as a grizzled old copper. Um, he, sort he, was, of, he was good. <laughs> sort of playing off against sort of Travis Fimmel, this sort of interloper from the big smoke, if you like, trying to solve this cold case. And I thought Travis Fimmel's performance was really interesting. I thought the way he played that guy, and he had his own backstory going on that I think hints at a sequel. Um, I just thought the way he kind of would, would kind of sit back and I found him fascinating to watch. I couldn't take my eyes off him on the screen. He did a real characterization there, which really kind of shocked me at how how good it was. Uh, I haven't seen him in, in something where I've really thought, wow, you're really, really doing a great job on this. I didn't watch Vikings, so I'm, I, I, I hadn't missed some of the stuff he'd done. But, yeah, I absolutely loved him in this. Yeah, no, he, he's really good. And it's the the backstory is great, and it's a whole it's a whole another layer to this this series, really, because something happens right at the start of that first episode, and it's not explained for quite a while, and you're always wondering. I quite like that how they lead you on, and in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, "Yeah, but I know he's weird, but why? Why is he weird?" Yeah. And yeah. that sort of gradually unfolds. Yeah, it's really, really, really well written. Yeah, and the other thing too was maybe the surprise, I guess, with uh, Rob Carlton's character. That you know, by the end of it, he's really going, "Whoa!" You know, yeah. he's very central to uh, a lot of the action, and 
And he doesn't. He's more. He, I guess he's often. Well, he's played Kerry Packer. I guess in the past. Yeah, so, yeah, yes. Um, but this is a. This to me seemed a very different role for him. Yeah, it was because he was one of those guys you couldn't figure out whether he was good or bad. Um, yeah. And boy, did you find out. <laughs> look, you know, we touched on this before. Uh, Stan make a point of using the summer non-ratings period to bring out new Australian dramas. Uh, they brought out Black Snow this year. They also did the third season of Bump, which was absolutely terrific, I thought. Claudia Carvin, Angus Sampson, the story picked up Five years after the last one, gave them a whole new scope, a whole new uh, way of looking at things. And, you know, look, that, that Stan have just done so well with their Australian dramas and they are must-watch television over summer. And I think just quickly on that, a Bump spin-off is going to be next. Oh, next wow, summer. I didn't know that. that. Yeah, I think there's a Bump spin-off or some, connect, some character is going to be broken out. So, wow. so that that that's still to come, um, yeah. So look, uh, Black Snow from uh, Goalpost Television. Look, they make a lot of great stuff too. Um, we've been like, I think we spoke to Rosemary Blight in the past uh, on a podcast about some of their work, yeah. and it's um, it's all good stuff. So I, I recommend that very highly. Fleischman in trouble. Look, I didn't know much about this, but it's sort of. I sat upright when I realised that Claire Danes was in it and she got nominated for um, a Golden Globe. She didn't win. But um, I thought, look, I, I should really investigate this. I think it was out earlier last year, eight episodes on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. But look, I'm, I'm not far into it, but I'm probably three episodes into the eight, and it's really pretty funny. You know, so I only watched it because you, it was on the list and I thought I'd seen it there. I was like, I don't want to watch that. I just wouldn't even <laughs> consider it. And then you put it on the list and I was like, all right, I'll watch it. And then I started watching it and realised I've read the book. It was oh, like the first okay. book in this book club I joined about three years ago. And I didn't love the book. I kind of <laughs> got to the end of it and thought, what was the point of all of that? And they're really right. unlikable people. The two lead <laughs> characters, that married couple, they're unlikable. And it wasn't Claire Danes and who's playing Fleischman, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, yeah. That wasn't what I imagined when I read the book. But you know what? Their kids are exactly as I imagined them. So I'm going to watch the TV series. I'm like you. I've done about three episodes too, uh, mm. and, I, and I'm watching it because I keep getting these flashes like, oh, yeah, I do remember this. Yeah, yeah, I remember this. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, I can figure out a purpose to it uh, that wasn't revealed to me by the book. Claire Danes isn't in it a lot, but when she is, she's good, but she's not likable. Yeah, Jassy's not that likable. The find for me in this was Lizzie Kaplan, who I don't know much about. She's plays Libby, one of um, Jesse Eisenberg plays Dr. Toby Fleischman, and he breaks up with his wife, but he's got a couple of good friends. Lizzie Kaplan's one of them. Yeah. Um, as 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 Libby, Lizzie playing Libby, and Adam Brody as Seth are the other one. But uh, Lizzie Kaplan is also the narrator, yet yeah, the right. voice you hear. And I think she's excellent. She's really good. 
Look, she's been in a couple of shows I've really loved. Uh, she was in um, Masters of Sex and okay. she was in True Blood back in the day and she's going to be playing the Glenn Close role in the new Fatal Attraction miniseries that's uh, coming sometime. Oh, okay. Wow. So Lizzie Kaplan, you will hear a lot about her when she's uh, boiling bunnies, let me tell you. Yeah, look, that Masters of Sex, uh, something I never really got into, Um who was the lead in that? Michael uh, Sheen. That's right. Who's currently yeah. in Sydney on stage? I think. Um, that's right. He's being Amadeus at the Sydney Opera yes. House right now. But yeah, the Masters and Johnson was that their names? The sex therapists from the late fifties, yep. sixties. Yeah, yeah. That was. I watched all of that on SBS. I loved that series. Right. Okay. Yeah. It makes me sort of want to go and um, get into that now. So Fleischman in trouble. Um, yeah. Disney Plus, eight episodes. Yep. Very good way to spend your time. Look, the last big series we'll look at is probably, has this been the, I'm calling it the sleeper hit because I didn't know a lot about it before, beforehand, but it's almost like the new Game of Thrones, it seems, The Last of Us. Well, I think the fans of the video game were eagerly anticipating it. Us old blokes uh, weren't <laughs> expecting anything, but I think there was a built-in audience for it, and I think yeah. that... What we're shocked about is that the show's so great. And I must admit, I watched the first episode and thought, this is just another version of The Walking Dead. I don't want, I don't like shows about the end of the world. They upset uh, me. I get on nightmares and oh <laughs> um and then I watched the first episode and went, Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. And then I watched the f- second episode and it's like, I'm not watching any more of this. And then of course the third episode, everyone's heads have exploded about how beautiful the third episode is by taking this kind of diversion with a backstory and telling this beautiful love story featuring Murray Bartlett, um, our Aussie guy, uh, and it's and Nick Offenen, and it's just blowing everybody away. And I just keep reading story after story after story about about the Easter eggs in it and why it ended with a shot of the open window and all of these beautiful, beautiful moments. So uh, it is the surprise hit uh, so far. I don't think anybody was expecting that sort of reaction to episode three of a a show about zombies and viruses. It's it's really defying expectations. Murray Bartlett, I mean, you couldn't get any hotter if you tried, could you? I mean, he's... Pretty sensational roles. Yeah. Bang, bang, yeah. bang. And by the way, I watched Welcome to Chippendales uh, to the end on Disney okay. Plus. And, oh, yeah, like it, it it's was. good, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it was really good. I, I thought after the first episode, like, oh, this is just another <laughs> dramatisation. But, yeah, oh, you, you were right, James. It got really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I just dove into that last year and I think my quote was there, uh, what, I, I can't get enough of this or something I said like yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah. That's. I, I just couldn't stop watching it. I just yeah. thought it was so so brilliant. The whole story about how the this sort of Indian living in Los Angeles, working in a gas station, launches the Chippendales brand nightclub, comes huge, and then it turns into like a can we say a murder mystery sort of? Yeah, right. because he's such a dick. So. It's like I, <laughs> You just couldn't believe that someone could mess it up so badly. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it bizarre. But you start off rooting for him almost at the start, you don't you? You kind of do, yeah. You're saying, yeah. oh, good on you, mate. Yeah, you yeah. know, a little battler making good. Yeah. It just yeah. goes horribly wrong. You know? Yeah. But it, but it, but it's good. But, Jim, Murray Bartlett, look, I was like you. I just thought, look, The Walking Dead, 
I couldn't watch that. It's I get scared. I <laughs> zombies freak me out. You know, um, I, I I couldn't do it. I got through one. Again, I watched two. Thought, oh, this is okay. And a Torv was in it. It was sort of interesting. Um, and I thought, look, I'll I'll keep going. I'll see what the fuss is about. Yeah, that third episode. Wow, it is. It just it's just incredible. Yeah, you know? and. I don't know. I don't know how you felt watching it. I just couldn't stop thinking about my own mortality, though. Oh, it was. Well, I mean, yeah, we. I'm, I'm older, right? So maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm closer to the end than the beginning. I'm sure not everybody, but I just couldn't. It just really brought home that we're all mortal, and yeah. and the things in life that are meaningful. And wow, you know. Yeah, it was confronting. It was beautiful, <laughs> but it was confronting. Yeah, and I just wouldn't have expected that from this, a show that's grown from a sort of a, no. you, is it a first-person shooter video game or Suppose whatever you call so. it? I don't, I'm not a gamer. I don't understand any of those no video idea. games. But, but yeah, to, to see something so unexpectedly beautiful in a something based on a video game is really surprising, really, yeah. really, really surprising. Yeah, so look, there's we've got seven episodes to go. I have anyway. It's um, it's ten eps. So after this, who knows where this show could go? Week you know, by week. It's... I mean, people are writing again about how HBO have always stuck to their Sunday night in America, you know, shows, and and mm. it works for them because the word of mouth just builds and builds and builds over the weeks yeah. that it's on air. Yeah, it's just and the money they've spent on this. Wow. Yeah. The, the scenery and it, you know, I think it blows Walking Dead away for in terms of creating a sort of a bleak future. It's just they've just done it so wonderfully. It just looks so real, and I'm sure a lot of it's just special effects. But yeah, yeah, such a good job they've done of it. Look, I didn't know much about the the lead, uh, Pedro Pascal. Um, He's a star I now. I tell you what, you didn't know about yeah. it. He's getting a lot of attention too, isn't oh, he? Look, yeah, I and mean, look, he's he's got a huge CV. Look, Mandalorian, twenty four episodes. Yeah, Narcos, thirty episodes. He's done a lot of work. Um, Bella Ramsey's his co star is the young girl Ali. Sort of the two of them are out there trying to navigate their their way in this world that's sort of been destroyed by a pandemic, if you like. So there's lots of parallels with what we've been going through the last couple of years. That's one of the reasons it's really resonating, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, we're going to hear a lot about him. He's a, he, he's, he's a star now because of this show, Pedro Pascal. Hello, Daddy is what they're calling him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, the Last of Us, 10 episodes, uh, Foxtel, or on binge. Look, that that wraps. Do there's a couple of things you wanted to mention from across the summer? Now you're a big Shortland Street fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to write more about this in my column this week. Uh, Shortland Street, which has been screening here in Australia on SBS Viceland, they'd had the most incredible cliffhanger last December to end their 30th year. The, the hospital was basically burning to the ground with everyone in the car park surrounded by a bushfire. There'd been a murder. There's a religious maniac. There's so many things going on. They pulled it off. It was so fantastic. It comes back 
It's back for two weeks on SBS and it's going to come to an end. Their license has run out and they're not screening anymore. So I've got a lot to say about this uh, okay. and how soap viewers can get treated really badly by networks. So uh, Shortland Street, I'll so put more about that in my column this week. Okay, that's it. Uh, you can read that at mediaweek.com.au or in our Media Week Morning Report newsletter. Quickly to the L word. The L Word Generation Q in its third series. I really, really rate this show. I've watched every episode since the first L Word all those years ago, and it's still really kicking in goals for me. They did a musical episode this series, which is often a sign that you're uh, about to jump the shark, but they did it really cleverly, James, because everyone went off to like a retreat in the mountains and took hallucinogenic uh, <laughs> mushrooms or something, and while they were all tripping, they all went off on their own little musical adventures a very clever way to bring musical into the show. So, yeah, well done to the L Word. Generation Q, can't wait for it to come back for Series 4. Now, that's on Stan, isn't it? Am yeah. I right? Yep. Yes. And also on Stan, your final thing, I Hate Susie. Wow. Second season. So this is Billy Piper's series where she oh, plays right. a, yeah. uh, a, a, a celebrity, uh, a British TV star. In this, it was just three episodes, but she was at rock bottom and she goes on to like this dancing show, like a Dancing with the Stars show, and kind of is having this meltdown. And it's just, in, it was just incredible. Billy Piper, I rate her so highly. Um, and she goes into some very, very dark places. But wow, this was something, she had something to say say about celebrity and um, the the way that we treat celebrities, the way that we expect them to behave, uh, the trolling, all of this stuff. I mean, it was, there was a real Britney Spears element to it as she started uh, going into her breakdown that was, I think, reminiscent of what happened to Britney Spears when she shaved her head. Uh, I Hate Susie. If you haven't watched it, it's also on Stan. This is a great, great series too. So a lot of great stuff on Stan there. Just to recap, Black Snow, uh, Bump, the season three. Of course, the other seasons are there as well. And then uh, The Old Word and I Hate Susie. Yeah. Andrew, look great to be back on air with you in our weekly TV podcast. Um, you can find us on all the good podcast platforms. Tell your friends, share the love. Uh, follow us or like us to get the automatic downloads. And we'll be back next week. See you then. See you next week.